Praise the Lord. You guys all set back there? You got everything? I got three thumbs. It's a miracle. Most of us only have two. You know, <clears throat> all relationships work by the terms that define them. Marriages, um, friendships, uh, teams, business partnerships, so that if the parties don't follow the terms that define that relationship, then the purpose of the relationship isn't going to work. And of course, that's why people that enter with such enthusiasm and commitment for life into marriage end up somewhere along the line um, going and having it legally dismantled, the relationship. They're, they're trying to get out of the relationship. Um, people do it all the time, sometimes with friendships and uh, business um, uh, partnerships. So we try to break out of relationships because they break down. But why do they break down? They break down because the terms that define the relationship aren't being followed by the people that are in that relationship practicing them. And so if one party is expecting and operating by the set of principles that govern the relationship, but the other party stops and starts operating under different terms, for example, in your marriage, if one spouse is continuing to act and relate to their spouse in the kind of love and, and uh, mutual submission and kindness um, towards their spouse, and the other one begins to shift out of the context of marriage and starts relating to them as, uh, as a, like a business partner or like a buddy. It changes, and, and that change is noticeable, and then the function of that relationship starts to break apart, and, and you're no longer having what you intended when you started it. So the relationship that God has chosen to have with us is called the blood covenant. That is actually the highest and most powerful relationship and bond known to man. And that is the relationship that he has to us. The marriage is very much like a blood covenant. But the purpose of the blood covenant was simply to bind two parties together into a permanent relationship that produces a third new party that's the product of the two becoming one. So that's the whole purpose of the blood covenant. It's an irrevocable, permanent relationship because it creates a new being. And when it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the King James says, a new creature, the King James says, new creation, probably other translations say. But in the original Greek language, the term new creation is actually a new species. And so there probably hasn't been a new species created on the earth since those six days of creation when God made all things until Jesus died and rose from the dead and Jesus showed up and became the Lamb of God, and he was the new creation. That's why the scripture calls him the second Adam. And he was not just human. He was this third party that was developed out of God and man entering into covenant was the God-man. All God, a being that was all God and all man at the same time. So Jesus is 
the new creation. And in the book of Hebrews, he's called the firstborn among many brethren. And so the purpose of the new creation, of the blood covenant, was to make the new creation. And when God first, and you could get all this out of last week's message, but it's important to go on just to share with you that when God first entered into the blood covenant relationship with Abraham, Abraham knew he was being drawn by God into this blood covenant that a third party would be produced. He and his wife couldn't have children. She was barren. And the Lord promised him, you're going to have a son. And out of that son, so numerous will be the descendants that they outnumber the stars of the heavens. The only problem was is that that Abraham could not enter a blood covenant with God because they were mutually exclusive. Abraham was a sinner from the fallen race of Adam and not capable of bonding with God. So God put Abraham aside for the time being. And he said, I will come and I'll stand in for you. I'll take your place. And so when they cut the covenant, when you read about it in Genesis 15, you saw God the fire and then God the son Hallelujah, that fire in the earthen vessel, and Abraham's watching. And you remember later when God said to Abraham again, still continuing to work out this covenant, take your only son, who has now arrived, his name is Isaac, and go up to Mount Moriah, sacrifice him to me. And so Abraham goes up and he stops at the last moment because God said, stop, don't sacrifice your son. Now I know that you fear the Lord. Well, Isaac was as good as sacrificed. God knew that had he not stopped Abraham, his son would have been killed and offered up. The problem is that Isaac, the son that God gave Abraham, also was not a spotless lamb. He was not capable of taking away the sins of the world. He was not capable of producing heirs that would be as numerous as the stars of heaven. We think that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were where all those descendants came from. But the fact is they were just simply a conduit for the blood covenant. Jesus was the firstborn from the dead. Hallelujah. And Jesus was the one that God gave through a symbol to, to Abraham up on Mount Moriah when he said, I've provided myself a sacrifice here. Just offer this lamb but one day the true Lamb of God will come, and Jesus did come, praise the Lord, and he was offered up. Isn't that wonderful? So the blood covenant produced the new creation. I want you to remember that whenever you use the term the new creation and you think about how Paul wrote, we are new creation in Christ, the blood covenant is what produced the new creation. God drew the first believer, Abraham, and then everyone who entered into faith in that covenant drew him into that relationship so that when the Lamb of God was truly offered up, everyone in faith, both in the past and everyone in faith who would follow, which is you and I, would be received into that blood covenant through Jesus. And so Ezekiel says in Ezekiel 16, 20, uh, 62, I will establish my covenant with you, and then you will know that I am the Lord. So how do we know that Jesus is Lord? What kind of relationship? Is it because we feel, well, he's my friend? Well, it's true. Abraham said that I'm a friend. You know, God said, Abraham, I'm your friend, and uh, you're my friend. Um, is it because we feel romantic? The fact is we don't know 
that Jesus is Lord of our life on any other solid basis other than the blood covenant. God said, you know the blood covenant, then you will truly know that I am the Lord. In Luke chapter 13, um, another example like the one I shared last week about the, uh, the woman who was the Canaanite lady who came to Jesus. Another example, again, another woman in Luke 13 verse 16, there was this woman who came to Jesus, and she was Jewish. She was a descendant of Abraham. And so by faith, she was part of Abraham's covenant with God. But the Bible says that she had been bent over, probably looked like this. The Bible says she couldn't straighten up, and she couldn't even look up. She probably had to turn to the side. Um, so it was, it was a terrible position and, and imposition upon her life. And she had been like that for 18 years. And when Jesus healed her, I think they were in the synagogue, the, the ruler of the synagogue became indignant. And he was angry because Jesus had broken the Sabbath and healed this woman on the Sabbath day. But Jesus corrected him. And he said in verse 16, Shouldn't this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan had bound 18 long years, be freed from this bondage on the Sabbath day? So when Jesus heals the woman, what does he cite as his basis or his authorization for doing that? He said, seeing that she is a daughter of Abraham. He was referencing the blood covenant. He was saying, because she is in line with the blood covenant, I am going to heal her. In fact, in the King James and in the uh, uh, other translations, it says things like, shouldn't this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, but that word shouldn't in the original Greek has a much stronger sense to it. It literally is, isn't it necessary that this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, be loosed of this infirmity that Satan has bound her with these 18 years? Listen to me, those of you that face infirmity, deal with issues in your life. Listen to the attitude of your Savior. Listen to the attitude of Jesus. Isn't it necessary that you, being a son or a daughter, not of Abraham, but of Jesus, the Lamb of God, isn't it necessary that you be released from your infirmity, whom Satan has bound however many years? There's the heart of God. That's God acting, not out of emotion. He's not healing her because she deserved it. He's not healing her. When I say deserved it, I mean based on her merit as a moral individual. He said, based upon her being in covenant with me. And so God says the basis for me responding to you is the blood covenant. And I want to add to this, the Bible also says that Jesus said, Shouldn't she be healed whom Satan has bound these 18 years? So if you're dealing with Satan, if you're dealing with demonic oppression, notice that God's response to the devil is the blood covenant. That's how you deal with the enemy, is through the promises of the blood covenant. So Jesus clearly shows that his relationship with the world, his relationship with us, is through the blood covenant. That's the relationship. And if the more we as believers understand that blood covenant and respond to God and reach out to God and talk to God through the blood covenant, we'll move him. 
You talk to God through the blood covenant, God will move. Amen. So now what I have kind of said all that because I want to ask a question and then offer some suggestions for answers. What has the blood covenant done for you? If you had to go home and do a little quick essay, what has the blood covenant done in my life? How has it affected me? The first thing that I would say is that when your very best fails God's standards, the blood covenant breathes Jesus' relationship with the Father into you. That means that Jesse is not struggling all these years to build a relationship with God. And I hear people say all the time, I'm working on my relationship with God, or I'm trying to build my relationship with God. And understand that what we oftentimes mean by that is, you know, I need to spend some time with the Lord, which means what the better way to say it is, I am working out my relationship with God. But the fact is, you are not building your own relationship with God. You have been allowed into the only relationship with the Father that heaven will ever recognize, and that's the Son. The blood covenant was between the Father and Jesus. When Jesus took on humanity, he took on you and I. And he did it for the express purpose of opening a door for you to have a relationship with God that was perfect and could not be broken. And the wonderful thing is that when Jesus became flesh, though he never sinned, he took on the weakness of our nature. When you're in blood covenant with God, not to create an excuse for sin, but God is compassionate and understanding. He knows our frame that we're but dust. Within the blood covenant, the perfection or the strength of your relationship is that the Father sees you in Jesus. And it's not based on how holy you were this week, or how unholy you were. The more you go to the Father saying, I claim my position in Jesus Christ, the more you're going to get the good stuff, the mercy, the grace, the joy, all that stuff, hallelujah. And he will never deny and he will never put you out. In Christ, you have the perfect relationship. So the Lord breathes, and I, I want to I make this clear when you get saved, the Lord breathes the new creation into you. Now, I'm going to show you this in the scriptures in John chapter 20, near the very end of the gospel of John, after Jesus is crucified, raised from the dead, he comes back and he's visiting with the disciples. And he, they're, they're locked up in a room. They're afraid he's, he's died. And all of a sudden he appears in the room. And listen to what happens. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the disciples had gathered together and locked the doors of the place because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them, and he said to them, Peace be to you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. Just as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And after he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the sins from any, it is withheld. Now, Jesus comes into the room, shows them the, the 
wounds of his crucifixion, he's clearly alive. And the Bible says, he comes in and says, peace be with you. They recognize him, and they're glad. They are really relieved. Now they feel, they, they, they feel happy. They're at peace. Everything's going to be okay. Jesus is back. That's it. got to be what they were thinking. Jesus is back. Oh, it's going to be. It was awesome before, but now what are they going to do? They've already killed him. They can't kill him again. This is going to be, and their minds must have just been, I assure you, they were not expecting what was about to happen next. They just knew we got Jesus. He's here. We just feel so good. We're glad. But Jesus did not come so they could feel peace. Jesus came so they could have peace. And Jesus came to breathe the blood covenant into them. Amen. Not so that he could personally be with them and nurse them and shield them, but that so he could be in them. So that who he was, they could become. What he was, they could become. Hallelujah. I mean, do you really believe that you're a new creation in Christ. Do you believe that being a Christian, you're just following an example? Or has God done something? Did he just give new birth to your morals or your thinking? Or has something actually happened and you're a new species? Not the same type of human that you were before. Something different. Jesus breathed and the Holy Spirit went into them. Now you remember from last week when they exchanged those things in the blood covenant, they exchanged coats and exchanged blood and exchanged names. And the coats and the blood and the names that the two parties in the blood covenant exchanged represent identity, life, and authority. The identity, life, and authority of man and the identity, life, and authority of God blended together into the new creation. So when Jesus came, was born, Emmanuel, God with us, and then entered his ministry at 29 and a half years old, he was walking with both God and man's identity, God and man's life. God and man's authority. He had picked up the mantle of Adam that Adam had lost when he sinned. That mantle where God told him, rule and have authority over the earth. He picked it up and he also came from heaven with God's eternal authority. Praise the Lord. So the blood covenant brought Jesus into the world. That's why Jesus came, and that's how Jesus came. Jesus was born because the blood covenant birthed him into the world. And then Jesus turns around at the end of his ministry after he raises from the dead, and he breathes the blood covenant into the disciples. Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, if you think this is a little strange, hold on, because it's about to get a little strangerer, if that's possible to say that way. When you receive Jesus, he breathes his identity, his life, and his authority into you, making you the new creation with him. Why else would we be called the body of who? Body of Christ. We're not just laborers. We're not just helpers. 
We're not like other religions where they simply have followers. Even though all those terms are used to describe us, they are not in essence what our relationship with God is. In essence, your relationship with God is based on something that is impossible in the natural, but only made possible in heaven through the blood covenant. You are at one with God. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? amen. So, when he breathed in them the Holy Spirit, where did the Holy Spirit go? When I was young, um, when I was a kid growing up, we used to love to build models. My dad would build models. He'd help us. We'd build models. I'd build a model, but then I'd tear it apart. My dad gave me, I remember, a really cool airplane. But I had that thing tore apart because I wanted to get at the man inside. And I wanted to see how he was connected to everything. So I've always wanted to tear things apart to see how they work. Well, when Jesus breathes the Holy Spirit into you, don't you want to know where the Holy Spirit went? Did he go into your stomach? Did he go into your brain and your thoughts? Where is he? Did he go into your bones? If the Holy Spirit is in you, where is he? And then, of course, and this is not wrong, but we all like to say, well, he went into my spirit. And we're safe by saying that because... You know, he's in my spirit, and I don't have to explain what that means to you because none of us understand it. But uh, we're safe theologically if we say, he went into my spirit. So where is your spirit? Well, it's in, it's in my belly. I'm going to resist saying anything. But just simply, that's not good enough. Because I want to take you back to your creation God rolls up the dust of the earth. He takes him up in his hand. And the Bible says he breathes into Adam the breath of life and he animates him. Animates him. Where does the breath we draw into our lungs end up? It ends up in your blood. It takes the cells of your blood and it makes them alive. When the breath, when the oxygen, whatever you want to call it, leaves the blood, the blood settles down. The life has left it. It won't flow anymore. The heart won't work. It's the blood that makes us live, and it's the lack of the spirit in the blood. When the spirit leaves, that blood's dead. But the blood of Jesus is alive, and it is speaking hallelujah today. Glory to God. Not just in heaven. Where did Jesus' breath, when he breathed into the disciples, where did it go? The Holy Spirit entered the bloodstream of Peter, James, and John. And the Holy Spirit, when you got saved, Jesus breathed his breath, his spirit into you. And that breath is in your blood. His blood is your blood. Amen. His life is in your blood. And the day the breath leaves your blood, you will stop living physically, but you will go with your blood. The Bible says the life is in the blood. That's why the blood covenant is the nature of the relationship that God has with you and I. Can you say amen? Now in Hebrews 13, after I've said what I just said, listen to this in verse 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, 
who by the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, our Lord Jesus Christ, equip you with every good thing to do his will, working in you that which is pleasing before him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now listen. He says, may the blood of the eternal covenant equip you with every good thing, working in you to do what pleases God. What enables you and me to get up and be a Christian is the Holy Spirit is breathed into us and makes our blood the blood of Jesus. That blood is in us. It's not just a mystical coating over your abstract spirit somewhere. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? This is why Satan is absolutely terrified of any believer who begins to wake up and realize what's flowing through their veins. The devil is terrified. You are wrestling, here it is, you are wrestling with this, trying to use it, trying to make it work. And that's awesome because God's word is alive. But where is it alive? It's alive in here. The teacher, the comforter has been sent into you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. The blood streaming through your veins has this new creation coursing through you. And the more you allow the Holy Spirit to give you understanding and revelation of who you are in Christ, then when you take this up and say, 1 Peter 2.24 says that my Savior who did not know sin, he became a sacrifice for sin for me, was hung upon the cross, and with his stripes I was healed. And in your mind you're thinking, yes, 2 Corinthians 5.21, 1 Peter 2.24, Matthew 8.17. As you are speaking forth the words of life, the blood of Jesus is speaking through you. Hallelujah. We have to connect in our heart with the truth of God's word for that life to flow. It is a relationship. When Peter said, silver and gold have I none such as I have give I thee, he was walking in a, in a revelation of the blood of Jesus in him. Hallelujah. He knew that Jesus had breathed on him. Now, Jesus breathes on them in that room and says, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. But what happens is several days later, they're all gathered in the upper room. And as they're praying and waiting upon the Lord, what happens? Tongues of fire fall upon them. Why did they begin praising God and speaking in other tongues? Because that is the use of breath. Breathing out, hallelujah. Speaking, speaking out the words of life. They were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. So they knew that Jesus had breathed. They knew he's in me. I'm speaking him right now. When he stood up on the balcony, Peter did. And he said to them, men and brethren, 
Jesus whom you crucified is Christ. He is Lord. He knew that Jesus was speaking through him, just like he wants to speak through you and me. So the question is, what has the blood covenant done for you? Well, the first thing it did, and with these others, I'm just going to mention them, but I thought this was important enough that I wanted to break it down for you a little bit, is that the first thing the blood covenant did for you was that it breathed into you Jesus' relationship with the Father. You have Jesus' relationship with the Father within you. But what else has the blood covenant done for you? Well, when life is a desert, there's food and provision in the blood covenant. When all of a sudden the resources of life seem to dry up, Psalm 111 verse 5 says, He has given food and provision to those who reverently and worshipfully fear Him. He will remember His covenant forever and imprint it on His mind. So, food and provision, when those thing, resources seem to dry up in the natural, the covenant will never dry up. And the blood covenant will supply you with what the world is unable to give you. What else has the blood covenant done for you and I? Well, when life is cruel, as it so often can be, and harsh, the blood covenant gives you mercy and righteousness. When you don't see righteousness or mercy anywhere around you in your circumstance, for Psalm 103, verse 13, begins to say, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on his faithful followers. For he knows what we are made of. He realizes we are made of clay. A person's life is like grass, like a flower in the field that flourishes. But when the hot wind blows by, it disappears, and one can no longer even spot the place where it once grew. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon those that fear Him, and His righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep His covenant and to those who remember his commands to do. And so when mercy is dried up in your circumstance, and when righteousness seems to have disappeared as it seems to in the world around us today, rather than running around in a panic, just know that God will always be faithful in his covenant. If you walk in the blood covenant, the righteousness and the mercy that seems to have disappeared out of life you find it in your relationship. It's circulating in your blood. It's in you when you can't find it anywhere else. Somebody say, praise the Lord. What else has the blood covenant done for you? Well, when the doors of life shut in your face and you have been rejected, the blood covenant has friendship for you. You'll always have a friend in the blood covenant. Psalm 25, 14 says, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. So God associates friendship with the blood covenant. When we come to him knowing that we are in blood covenant relationship with him, we find him as our closest friend. And when everybody else who you thought was your friend is just not available, the blood covenant is always available. You're never without a friend. Can you say amen? What else has the blood covenant done for us? Well, we could have 
taken this right out of the headlines of recent news. And it probably won't be the last, but when violence fills the land, the blood covenant is your safe place. I know there's a lot of concern today, and we may find it a little odd. I know I find it a little bit odd. I'm not saying that I'm against it, but I find it a little bit odd that churches now offer uh, concealed weapon permit classes, you know, for their, for their members and, and stuff. I, we don't want to see a show of hands of how many people carry weapons in church, but there are a lot of people doing it nowadays. And it's really odd because in, in, the, in the day that Gene and I were talking about when we got saved, it was like, well, you're not a Christian if you do that because you're not trusting God. Now, I'm not, so that's just how we thought. I'm not being critical, but I'm simply saying we live in a time where the, the world has changed and violence is breaking out everywhere and it can erupt anywhere and it's erupting in churches and Walmarts and all over the place. And the way people are talking, it's not going to get better because they just won't stop, you know, and, and it just feeds. So it just keeps being fed. Where do we go? Where is our safe place? Our safe place is in the blood covenant. Hallelujah. I, have a, I'm, I am a walking safe place. Psalm 7420 says, Remember your covenant promises. For the land is full of darkness and violence. When the land is full of darkness and violence, what do we do? We say, Lord, remember the blood covenant. Why? Because we're in covenant with the Father. His weapons are our weapons. Our battles are His battles. Hallelujah. We are safe under the shadow, glory to God, of the Almighty. Praise the Lord. One last one. And this is certainly not uh, exhaustive. I'm sure there's all kinds. You can think of your own. But I thought this was important enough. Make it the last one I wanted to share with you. When those around you in life are falling away and backsliding. Some of you have been a Christian long enough to have been in situations where the people that, that you were fellowshipping with, the people in your life, perhaps in your family or friends, all of a sudden begin to just disobey the Lord or just begin simply by not obeying the Lord and people begin to then drift into disobedience and then from there they just out and out started backsliding. And it can be a very unnerving thing when the people that you look to around you for support all of a sudden are shaking and they're not walking solidly with the Lord and it can have an effect on you. It can be very unsettling. And so when those around you begin to fall away, the blood covenant just know the blood covenant will always be standing for you. In Psalm 89, 27, there is, there is this prophecy being given that's speaking about King David. But as so many of these prophecies do, while he's prophesying about King David, he's threading into the prophecy the person of Jesus Christ. So from verse to verse, he's talking about David. Then it's pretty apparent he's talking about Jesus. Then he's back to talking about David. And, you, and if you've ever noticed, how many of you have noticed that in the Psalms? You'll read the Psalms, and he's talking about David. Then he's talking about Jesus. The reason is the blood covenant. 
When you see that, that's blood covenant language. Because the blood covenant takes two and makes them one. So God just starts jumping back and forth. He's talking about the man or the woman that he's brought into covenant. And then he's talking about Jesus as though they're the same person. So when God is talking about Jesus, he's talking about you. That's why we claim the things that the Bible says about Jesus, we claim for ourselves, except that he is the unique son of God, the, that, uh, that second person of the Trinity. So, but we know that just short of that, we are sons and daughters of God. So the things that are spoken of Christ, we receive them. And Jesus invited us to receive them and to believe them for ourselves. So here in Psalm is one of these instances, as I start to read, he's talking about David. But then you can see it, just watch for it, he's going to shift gears, he's talking about Jesus. I will make him my firstborn son, the mightiest king on earth. I will love him and be kind to him forever. My covenant with him will never end. I will preserve an heir for him. Now he's starting to introduce Jesus. His throne will be endless as the days of heaven. But if his descendants, quote, the people of God, the church people, Jews of the Old Testament, believers of the New Testament, but if his descendants forsake my instruction and fail to obey my regulations, if they do not obey my decrees and fail to keep my commands, notice, the drifting, the shaking, the falling away, those that you were going to the house of God with, they're not walking in the light. If they fail to keep my commandments, then I will punish their sin with the rod and their disobedience with beating. But I will never stop loving him, nor fail to keep my promise to him. No, I will not break my covenant. I will not take back a single word I said. There you have it, folks. Let that sink in this morning. That I don't care if a thousand fall at your side or ten thousand at your right hand. You don't have to fall into the crevices with them. There's no reason because God's covenant will stand. And God said, if they're all under the chastening rod because they're foolish, or rebellious. That's their business. Don't make it your business. My covenant stands for mercy, for grace. I will uphold you, and I will never take away anything I have spoken out of my mouth, God says. Hallelujah. Awesome. Praise God for the promise of his word. Jesus was brought into the world by the blood covenant. And then he breathed that into your blood and he made you the new creation with him. And I'll tell you, I just challenge you to have your own Bible study and go through the scriptures and see how many you can add to this list. What has the blood covenant done for you?